All right, welcome back to the All Access USL podcast. I believe we are on episode 47. Just finished with week 21. Still got a ways to go. Um, a lot of telling results again this week. This period, and we're back with Noah, I should say. Welcome back, Noah. How can I ever forget? Welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I was was away for a bit. Um you know, kind of, as I said, just life getting in the way once again. And it happens. Yes. It happens. Absolutely. Um, of course, uh, had a had a death in the family, unfortunately, so had to uh, tend to that. And yeah, now now I'm hopefully back full time. But you know, there's always stuff that pops up here and there. And yeah, of course. Glad that you're doing okay for sure. We're glad to see you back. Um, we'll jump into it. How I was about to say, how do you think that this week is like the week where we see teams truly starting to like take shape more so as in like their real colors are starting to come out. We're seeing where they're likely going to finish at the end of the season is what I'm really trying to say in a really roundabout way. I think like just uh, the summer in general, I think. Uh just that's that's kind of when I kind of I kind of said it before in some of my match previous from our ABSC. This is when the the dogs are separated from the wolves. This is when the men are separated from the boys. This is the time you have to get results because um, if you don't, uh, you're going to put yourself in a very bad position. You're going to have to try and make up ground, and you don't want to have to do that come August, September, and October. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's. Just the summer in general is the time when we really see teams show their true colors and come into the form that maybe we thought they would or maybe they we didn't think they would. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think I'm getting a lot of this from the Saturday games. Um, I feel like a lot of those results went the way that one would expect. Now, obviously, there is one big glaring hole there. And that is the RGV game. Um, but other than that, I feel like the results really went uh, the way that, like I said, you would expect. I mean, we can start with um, Pittsburgh-Memphis, really. I feel like that's a big one that went how we all thought it would be. I mean, Memphis have been on a winless streak for a while now. And granted, Pittsburgh did fall at home to the Indy 11. And that was a very difficult game because the Indy 11 are hard to read. But Pittsburgh come back, they take advantage of a Memphis team who haven't had that winning taste in nearly five, six, seven games now. So I think that's getting the job done. And I think that's Pittsburgh asserting themselves as the top dog or at least one of the top dogs of the East heading into the postseason yeah and especially after this comes off of pittsburgh having i think lost three in a row or something like that so it was kind of imperative that they win this game to try and remain that that top dog in the west as you said uh but yeah it was it was a massive massive comeback because of course memphis went up two nil and then pittsburgh just come roaring back um Obergon, uh rovera one me and then another goal scorer as well so just really big win really really big win for pittsburgh to kind of get back on track absolutely um and we could talk about their uh indie loss as well because that is a very glaring result as well one that you wouldn't see i mean indy are currently eighth in the east pittsburgh have this um, I feel like this season they have this just like or about them as a team where they don't concede goals. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league, and they didn't show it here. They let Indy control a majority of the game. They let Indy get the better chances, win the duels in midfield. And in the end, I mean, Callum Chapman Page in his first game comes in, does well, and then it's Aiden Quinn. Absolutely beautiful goal, I will have to say. No shot for Jamali Waite. And then, you know, leave it to Gwenzotti and Harrison Robledo, and it is game over. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, 
that that Andy Quinn goal is one of the best goals you will ever see in any level of any league of professional football. Um, I mean, that was almost just Wayne Rooney-esque, it feels like. Uh, just strike, half volley, almost not even a half volley. He took like one or two touches, just straight into the back of the net. I mean, it was it was absolutely beautiful. But yeah, Pittsburgh, uh, that game just just didn't have it. Not not focused. They didn't have it for the past two games either because they had, of course, lost the past two for them as well. Uh, but Indy starting to kind of come into form a bit, starting to see what they can kind of do. And at this point, they are in a – I believe they're in a playoff spot. If yeah, you know, they're correct. in eighth. Eighth is a playoff uh, so spot indeed. They're, 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 above in, they're above Detroit as well, even though Detroit, you know, overtook them for just a little bit of a – a second when they when they beat us uh not this past Saturday but the Saturday before. So a big credit to Indy Eleven to kind of start getting their season rolling and on track and because again these are the times when you have to get results and they are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um and they have the two games in hand on Detroit below them. They have a game in hand and a better goal differential than Tulsa above them. So and Tulsa just lost to Tampa Bay. So it seems like, honestly, things couldn't really be going much better for Indy. Um, I think that I don't think they're necessarily a lock right now. They still have a lot of work to do. I mean, you know, they just lose 2-0 to Louisville um, this past weekend as well. And I think that was a good opportunity as well to pick up points for them, seeing as Louisville have been a bit shaky at home. Uh, this year I believe it was um, I mean I know they've lost to Tulsa at home this year I believe they lost they recently lost to Birmingham the very hard to watch El Paso loss at home I mean there's a whole bunch they, of instances this year they just squeaked by Las Vegas I mean oh yeah I just, mean uh, if, that, if that doesn't that doesn't speak to their troubles this season for Louisville I don't know what does so yeah it seems like you know We'll jump to the Las Vegas ship a little bit here. For as bad as Las Vegas have been this year, and I say that not trying to be negative, I think everybody knows that Las Vegas have been playing less than ideal this year. It feels like they're, they're always in it. They're always in the game. It's just they don't have the conviction at the back or up front to ever finish it out. And granted, they do have the ability to fight back. They have shown that so many times because of how many draws that they have this year. But when it comes to putting a game away, the only time they did that was their win against Phoenix. And they haven't done it since then. But they're like not so bad as to, I feel like, how we have actually been hitting them. To be compl- To be fair to them. What do you think? Do you think it's like they're actually bad? Because like, like clearly they're bad, but like to what extent are they bad? I think I've always said that the attack for Las Vegas is pretty decent. And obviously losing Batello Foz to his uh, Achilles injury was obviously not ideal. Granted, again, Las Vegas aren't making the playoffs anytime soon. So it's not like huge, but I do really like Batello Foz. And I do really sympathize with him on that injury. And it's very tough to see him out. Because, uh, he again, he's a great player. I love the Telefaz. Um, but overall, they bring in Josh Doling on a loan from New Mexico. And that's that's decent, too, because Josh Doling, of course, scores. I think he scored a hat trick, if I'm not correct, in the Open Cup this year. And it just hasn't quite worked out in New Mexico. So I think that's a really good opportunity for him and for the club as well. Uh but overall, again, the attack, Andrew Carlton, I, I rate him a lot because I think he's a good player. He's a good midfielder. Uh, but the problem just simply lies in the back. That's that's where they are. I mean, it's 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 either just they can't handle teams and teams break them down, or it's just one small mistake. And because of that one small mistake, they lose the game. I mean, take our game, for example. They break up the, the, the buildup from us, right? And then they give the ball right back to Sam and, and Gleadle scores. So there you go. That, that's just kind of been the story of the Las Vegas Lights. They get down, they fight back, and then they just make a mistake or they get broken down and then they lose. Yeah. 
it's it's been a lot of at least recently one goal losses and then we're going back to i'm thinking of the <clears throat> birmingham legion draw which was a very a, a very good game on their behalf again just their defensive shortcomings coming to the front and i think i definitely agree with you in that their attack is their strong point i think with a more competent defense because i think in goal they're set i think in midfield they're okay up top obviously their strongest point but defensively if they can just link their defense together better with something some sort of just like defensive magnet and i'm talking about it could be a good sweeper who can push forward or just someone who is like you know one of those classic slow lanky tall defenders they just need someone who is i would say menacing at the back or just something like that it feels like they don't really have that back there um stofer at the back though i have to say has been one of the bigger uh gems of this season for las vegas he's been fantastic throughout but that is our little spiel on las vegas i feel like we have to give them their bit we have to go to the bottom um hartford might make a little we can we can jump to san antonio hartford um we'll kind of just jump around we're trying not to we'll be front we're trying not to push back or leave out teams we're going to the games we feel are most important from this weekend that's what we're going to start doing from now on instead of having just like okay we want to talk about these teams for sure just whatever teams we feel or whatever games we feel were the most important for the weekend um had the most like i don't know just what had the most stakes it could be for the bottom for mid table for the top stuff like that so we'll go to san antonio hartford um this was san antonio personified for me this is what they are as a team it felt right what do you think here yeah, I think it's I think it's an absolutely deserved result for San Antonio. Bit of a shock lead, but you know, uh their quality shines through in the end. Uh specifically a man by the name of Tanny Owache. Uh, um I mean the guy the guy is just insane, man. because here's the thing, he can go like two or three games without scoring, right? And then he comes out and he scores a hat trick. The man has three hat tricks already this year. Yeah, it's I mean I, it, and it, just as a four goal game, four goals this game as well. Right, exactly. It's just like it's it's ridiculous. They 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 just continue to replace. I mean, they lose a Denneran, uh yeah. to to St. Louis again, and here they are putting five up on Hartford. Granted, Hartford are horrible, but yeah, I I it, it kind of leaves you at a loss for words. You, you're kind of speechless almost because. Well, you're kind of almost speechless at Hartford's horrific performance, but you're also speechless at the fact that Oluwashi really put four past, and that's, that's just kind of an amazing thing. So it's a big credit to him. And then, of course, you have Jordan Farr in one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah. Um, I don't... I, we always, I feel like we always come across when we talk about San Antonio, because they are a very loan based club or at least this year have been very loan based in terms of acquisitions or very short-term contract based they turn their short-term contracts into long-term deals at least till the end of the season but you know they lose a Deneron back to St. Louis and we're like oh okay maybe we'll see them start to drop off a little bit they bring in Kai Kareniak who hasn't been that great to I will have to say um and we're like could this be San Antonio's weak spot? You know, they don't have that player up top. They don't have that conviction up top, like I just said with Las Vegas, or at least Las Vegas to close games. They just don't have that conviction to put games away up top this time around. But then, you know, Tanley Oluwase comes out, scores four goals, puts himself back in the mix, and it's like, what were we even talking about? Of course, San Antonio, it doesn't matter who they have. There's going to be a player who is a game changer every week for them. They, It's in their DNA. It's in the way they play. They set themselves up to have someone do something special every time. And I fully believe that. I think they are success-driven. And I think that, like, obviously all teams are success-driven. But 
they actually set their players up for success. And it shows every week because someone knew, whether it's Tanny. I mean, they bring in Jordan Farr, who turns into an absolute beast in goal. You know, Connor Maloney is reborn after coming down from MLS. They are just a unit right now. And I think San Antonio has got to be one of the best. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. I always <laughs> stumble here. It's got to be one of the best places to be right now in terms of a player standpoint. Yeah. Another person I think we do have to give uh, his flowers is Rita Zahir. Oh, he yeah. has been he has been tremendous in that midfield on the on the right side. Um, so he, yeah, I mean he he's just been awesome. He of course he had that insane goal against uh, Memphis. I mean cut back, cut back left. You know just chip the keeper. I mean the guy the guy is ridiculous. But in the midfield as well, just winning tackles, getting forward really well. So he's he is really really good. He's been a great player for them. He has. I mean, I mean, like, and it, that's one of those things where it comes in. Ruta Zuhir, um, here from Montreal on a season-long loan. And he easily could be, and I know Montreal don't have their own MLS Next Pro team, and I think that's where they're lacking, but that's a different thing. But I think they take advantage of teams who necessarily don't have the best um, youth setups or stuff like that, or even teams that do, and they just they find these deals. They know what they want. Riazu here has been an absolute coup this year for them, absolute beast in midfield, and it's only pushed the team forward. I mean, right now we were talking about them a couple weeks ago, um, not necessarily being a threat. They are four points behind Sacramento, a game in hand, and they were in and around about fourth a couple weeks ago. Last time we talked, or at least last time. I explicitly talked about San Antonio, and now here they are back again in the Western Conference title race. It's it's remarkable. It really is. Yeah. And, I mean, for Hartford, it's just, you know, it's just more of the same, right? Like, the attack, decent. Score goals. Really well-worked goal uh, and on that, uh, on the first and the second one, I think. So, again, they just... They just continue to be absolutely shambolic at the back. Um, and that just continues to be their story, honestly. Yeah, I think in this game in particular, they have a lot more to be proud about than a lot of their other um, routes. I think this is one of their better performances in general as a team, at least through that first half. I believe they... <laughs> I'm trying to remember because I was flipping through all the games well, weekend. Joe Rice was great. Yeah, Joe Rice is always great. We know that. Um, but, I mean, Hartford were in it for a good while. And, I mean, it's just San Antonio's ability to get in behind quick and just, like, put it away. They usually do that. We know that. But Hartford, like I said, I think this is one of their better performances. Still disappointing. And I'm wondering now how big of a front office and player turnover do we see come the end of the season? Because obviously we're in a league with so little guarantees that with a season as historically bad as this, what do you keep? I mean, you keep Joe Rice. There are some good pieces in there for sure. I'm not going to name names because that's really not fair, but there aren't key pieces in there, but I'm talking about, do we see just a couple players leave and maybe you try to bring in a coach who is more hard, more tactically disciplined, maybe um, sits back a little more as conservative in their play, or do you just say, fuck it and get rid of like 15 players and be like, we got to start this shit all over again. Like, Inaugural season 2.0. Yeah, it's 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 tough to say for Hartford for sure. Uh, I think in the end they have not built the best model as a franchise, um, and what the general manager has done hasn't. I, I honestly don't know who the general manager is, unfortunately, because um, <laughs> I I haven't I, I don't really like I don't delve into that type of stuff. 
but I'll probably look it up at the end of this. Uh, now, what he has done, uh, bringing the players he had, again, looks good on paper, but just it just never materializes. So maybe there, I think there is potentially that turnover at the at the top there. I would think so. Um, we saw it. We saw a huge turnover for them in this past window. I mean, and there was a lot of good moves that I thought they made. I'll highlight two. Um, one is obvious. It's Elvis Amo, who coming in from the from Colorado Springs, the only one of him, Barry, and Mushukalusa not to leave the U.S. to head east to the Eastern Conference. Not working out right now. Um, and then I'm going to say it because I sung his praises all at the beginning. It's Kave Rod. He has been unbelievably <laughs> disappointing this year. So it's just, like you said, a lot of players who look good on paper not working together. And I'll say it again. There's a lot of teams that like to do that of just who is the best available. They don't put um tactical approach into the thought process, it feels like. And they just throw out a team, and they're like, maybe it'll work. And then it doesn't, like 95% of the time. And this definitely wasn't, I think, a case of go out and buy players with money. And I don't think this is a money instance. I think this is just taking the best players that are yeah. available at a pretty decent price and throwing them on the field and thinking you can have them perform really well. And that's just not how it works, I think. It, it, it's definitely not how it works. You would think... Um, I'll call it the Phoenix Rising model because we learned a lot from that last yep. year. Um, and we're learning more from it this year. And I think the big takeaway take is that you just don't do it. So maybe scout your players before yes. you sign them. And I'm, I mean, know, honestly, know what know what system you're playing and then get the players that fit that system the best regardless of what they're Challenge. Right, and I'm not saying that obviously, obviously every team scouts their players, but I, there's a lot of teams if it feels like they're just like, these are the best players available. We can afford it, so why not? So, yeah, and that usually never works, I will have to say. Anyway, um, we've talked a lot about Hartford and Las Vegas. Let's move up the table a little bit. Let's go. There is a lot to talk about with Monterey Bay. So if you would like to talk about Monterey Bay, you take it away. Well, you know, it's just, it it's, it's confusing, right? It's like, you know exactly what the team is capable of. You've seen it before. But then you go on these stretches. You go on these runs where it's just shocking, the form. And it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad to watch. It's, it's, it's not fun to watch either. Um, and you just you just wonder to yourself, are we a team that simply relies on other teams' mistakes? Because that's what it feels like sometimes. Feels like, you know, before the summer, we were playing teams like Las Vegas. We played Loudon. I mean, Loudon Loudon is not a bad not a good team, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um Sacramento Yes, good team, but they had an off night when you played them, and they they made a they made some mistakes, right? Um, so are we relying on that too much? Is the thing, and I think that's just kind of what's happening is we're getting into this time where, again, as we mentioned, teams are going to figure it the fuck out. They're not going to make mistakes anymore. And it's as simple as that. Colorado. Although they may have made, mis- made some mistakes, they come in, they beat us 4-0. I mean, there's not much else to say. Oakland, five five games, hadn't won a game. They come in, they beat us, right? Phoenix, lost 4-0 to Sacramento. They come in, they beat us. But it's also the fact that, uh, and I, I've been talking with fans, of course, a lot. Uh, I was talking with fans in the stands. Because I do, I'm part of the drumming core, of course. Uh, I'm just like, you don't have enough urgency. We don't have enough urgency. You look at it, there's no like, oh shit, we're ninth in the West. There's none of that, I feel like. Um, and so, and I know I know the players know they're ninth in the West. 
I know they know the club is ninth in the West, but it just doesn't seem like that is translating to the game. We're not going as hard, it feels. Um, and that's that's just that's really what's contributing to this run. It's a bad penalty from Sam, to say the least. But other than that, we never really threatened. And it's always been the final ball. We can't seem to put the final ball in and get Valeski involved. We can't get Dixon involved. And that's been the other issue, the final ball always. So I could I could keep going on and on about the issues we have because they're massive right now. Uh, and it's super, super glaring, the issues. Because uh, I think early on we kind of overlooked the fact that we did have three put past us against Hartford. Sure, we scored five, but the conversion rate just wasn't going to keep up in the end. Uh, so I think Baca coming in, which we'll talk, of course, later yeah. on about that. We can that. talk about that right now. I mean, we can jump into I some mean... transfers if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so he's he's going to be big, I think, because what we've also lacked is a true, true, true number eight a true person to distribute the ball. And I don't think he's a true, true number eight, but he's still someone in the center defense and midfield that can get the ball. He's super calm on the ball and he can distribute the ball. And that is really what we missed. So he'll slot in with, uh, with Murph in that, in that center defense and mid. We've also kind of been playing five at the back sort of, which I just find bizarre. I don't think we're built for the five at the back, um, particularly going forward. I much, much prefer a 4-2-3-1 because that's what we've always played, it feels like. And then, like, the past month or two or so, we haven't played a 4-2-3-1. We've been playing, like, a <laughs> five at the back. So, and that's that's partially on Frank, which is, you know, it's tough to say because I like him, uh, but he's just been not, not good, to say the least. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think it's a. I don't think he's not motivating the players, but he's kind of just doing whatever. But he did a good job at bringing Baca in. So we'll talk about Baca right now. Um, yeah. Again, good player from CD Cruz Azul, and he has all these connections. He played with Simon. He played with Ramiro. He played. He played under Frank in 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 the Quake system, and then of course he has all this experience in Liga MX. I believe yeah. thirty thousand plus minutes or something like that which is just ridiculous. And so he's going to help us a lot. So I do want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so go ahead. I think it is a steal. Um, coming at it, for, at it from an age perspective, I can see how some people would be worried. Um, you do need a lot of mobility and wherewithal as a CDM, especially a team like Monterey Bay who are going to need him to be able to play both fronts. He's going to need to support up top and then come back as well. Um, but I think he's got every capability of that. I think with his physicality, with his ball knowledge, and his time playing at Cruz Azul, I think after this season, he's got at least two more years of top quality play. And this is clearly a long-term thing. I don't think you make a move like this unless you want to be here for a while or in or retire here. So I think he's in it for the long run. I think he is physically capable of competing. And I think he provides a lot more defensive help, especially in that midfield role that I feel like um, a lot of teams get wrong and that Monterey have been lacking. So I think all across the board, it is something that, can only really go right to be yeah. completely honest. Yeah, I completely agree too. Um, and of course he said uh, in his interview with KSBW, which is the local news, that he feels like he has two or three years left in him. He said maybe even more than that. Uh, but I think the bigger thing that he's going to provide is experience. Uh, for I understand he's a central, central defensive midfielder, but for the young, young younger players like Jesse and Adrian, and Wolmer too even, because he's still pretty young, he's going to shed a lot of his light, his knowledge of the game onto them, I think, and that's really going to help those players develop and increase their IQ of the game and all that stuff. 
which I think is something that Wolver likes a lot. But then again, he's been playing left back, so like, who knows at this point where he where he's going to play? Because he's he, naturally he's a right winger. Uh, and then of course Adrian and, and it's going to help Adrian and Jesse for sure. Yeah, I think I think the experience part is really underrated here because this is a Monterey Bay team who does not have a lot of I'll say outside influence from necessarily other international leagues. This is one of the first big outside pieces coming from outside and I'll say outside of the US as an outside of the US leagues coming from a at least recent Mexican powerhouse in Cruz Azul. They haven't started the I believe Clasura that well. Um yeah. But he's coming in with this experience of logging, like you said, over 30,000 minutes in Liga MX, And he's bringing that to a team that desperately needs that outside thinking and style of play. So I think that is a bit of it that's going to go under the radar. It's just like, yeah, he has a different perspective on playing. He has faced incredibly harder opponents. You know, like... Henry Martin of Club America, all of that, like Club America, all of those teams, Guadalajara are miles ahead of, I'm sure everybody knows, USL teams. So he has the capabilities here and he has the experience to share. So I think that will work itself out in no time. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only other notable player that kind of, you know, signed for us, and he's still here, of course, Simon Dawkins. Yeah. But, like, I mean, he hasn't played, I don't, I don't think he played, like, one game in the Prem, and he's not really, I think he kind of almost, he hadn't been playing, I don't think, when he when he first came to us. Again, just the connection with Frank, I and mean, Frank's like, hey, you want to come play for us? And he's like, <laughs> okay. Because, uh, again, connections, which Frank has a lot of those. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's kind of uh, that's how Monterey Bay are going right now. <laughs> that, is, that is just how we're going, unfortunately. There, yeah, I, I do. I do. Um, it's hard to watch because Monterey Bay started so well this year, so promising, and it looked like they were going to have a great second year. And now, um, they're obviously they do have every opportunity to turn it around, but that comes obviously with its own set of what ifs, and. Just, we can only leave it to the future right now. There's a lot of time left for them to turn around. Every conference is so tight. Um, We're going to, we were talking about Louisville earlier. We'll swing back around to them now before we run out of time for this little bit. Um, I think there's two swap deals that took place since the last episode. Um, Babacar Ng and Darius Formella um, with Ng heading to... Oakland and Formella heading to Phoenix, but we're going to head to the bigger one. I feel, um, Enosh Mushagalusa heads to San Diego on loan. I will say Kyle Adam Adams heads to Louisville permanently. I, I think I will give my thought here first. I'll give it a quick and then, um, I want, I would love to hear what you have to say. Um, Kyle Adams is a New Zealand international, has been a stalwart at the back for San Diego. Very good. They trade him permanently to Louisville <clears throat> for Enosh Mushagalusa, who is good. He was very good. He was very good last year, out of favor this year, and it's only till the end of the season. I don't understand what San Diego are thinking here. I really don't. Yeah. I I kind of, I, I I was looking at it and I saw oh that's that's a decent trade and I saw the loan part and I'm like what are San Diego doing? Because great player I think, right? Mushibalusa is. Um and it does definitely bolster their attack. I wonder if this is just kind of San Diego kind of just like saying Fuck it, we don't care about defense, right? Well, they did go in <laughs> we, we all... and bring in Michael Chalaka from Maccabi Tel Aviv. He's 23, right. younger, seems a bit more versatile. Um, 
clearly is what San Diego wants more than Kyle Adams. But I feel like they could have gotten more out of this than just Mujagalusa on loan for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think, again, like, just... It, it looks it looks better on paper when you add that aspect of it. Right. Because that kind of makes sense then. They don't really want Adams. I don't know what age Kyle Adams is. But, Kyle Adams is uh, 26. Okay, so, yeah, there you go. Five 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 years younger, right? Uh, that's... Chalaka is 23. Difference. Three years younger. But, okay, I thought I heard 21. But there you go, I think. Maybe also he is more versatile, as you said. So... Again, just San Diego, it's it's a win for Louisville in the end because they're going to get Mujagalusa back. Uh, so yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts. Win for San, win for Louisville, uh, regardless. Yeah, I mean they get Kyle Adams, who is a center back. I think Michael Chalaka is coming in as more of a across the board kind of player, is my understanding. Um, and then they basically get to send Mushagalusa to play games at the same level for another team who are totally fine with that. I mean, I think I see that in a bit of a different way. It's just like, what are San Diego doing? You know, this is a Eastern Conference foe. What if you have to face them hypothetically in the final and he is tied to Louisville so he can't play for you? Um, Now, that's a very big hypothetical. I don't necessarily think they'll get there, but I think the trade on its face without the knowledge of Chalaka signing is a huge loss with the knowledge that Chalaka is signing. I think it's a moderate loss. They did not win this in any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely agree there. Um, but regardless, it doesn't change the fact that San Diego are still going to be there in the end because yeah. The attack is always just very, very good for them. Um, and Koke Vegas will keep you in a game if need be. And he definitely did that this weekend. He made some very, very good saves. Uh, although Romario Williams has to score on that, in my opinion. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick little break, and then we will be right back. All right. We are back from our quick little break we're gonna keep talking about some of the transfers that we have seen from this past week now we just um talked about Mushagalusa heading to san diego and kyle adams heading to louisville um we talked a little bit about babakar in jai which i believe that is actually the correct way to say it heading to oakland in that midfield and darius formella heading to phoenix um I think this trade, this straight swap, is a honestly fair deal. Um, Oakland do lose a big figure up top in Formella, but I mean, I think that they have shown that they are a unit this year. They are a collective. They do not have one standout player necessarily like we saw with Carlson last year <laughs> um, and players in their inaugural season. Um, and Babakar and Jai is a great midfield piece that just got pushed out at Phoenix and finds a new home here. Further solidifies Oakland in a area that they clearly thought they needed. And then Formella to Phoenix, mm-hmm. more goal scoring power, more creativity on that left side. Is there a loser here? Is there like other than a player losing their position? Is there a loser mm-hmm. here to you? I can't really find a loser necessarily. Um, I think when Charlie Dennis left in this offseason to go to the Rowdies, that was a big hold that was missed. And so bringing in Babukar and Jai, I think kind of fills that void now, which is really, really good for Phoenix. And they didn't really necessarily need Formella anymore because of the, uh, I, I don't know how to call it, the, Upcoming, I guess, of Johnny Rodriguez, who has been phenomenal for them this year. He has been scoring goals. He scored a banger this past weekend against Detroit. So uh, it's a a good transfer for them, I think. Uh, And it's also a good transfer for Phoenix. Um, They have no lack of goal uh, issues, per se. 
Um, but coming off the bench is definitely where they maybe needed something, some some of that depth. And so bringing in Darius Romello, we saw him come on in the 70th minute, I believe, 73rd minute against us. Uh, and, you know, he, he got a shot right away. Good save by Ant. Uh, a, a good a good left-footed save, one-foot save. But he made his presence felt. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's going to be big, a big piece off the bench for Phoenix because the starting lineup is great, uh, but they don't really have necessarily a goal scorer on the bench. Now they do. So good, good swap for both sides, I think. Absolutely. Uh, I think this is Phoenix starting to really put, like, I don't know, have confidence in themselves to make moves again. I feel like there's a bit of a hesitancy after last year to not want to get moves wrong. This is a great move. Um, A good bench. You can have a good starting 11. A good bench, I feel, is one of the big factors that separates um top-tier teams from bottom-tier teams. Like, Hartford have... I'll go to Hartford on Las Vegas because they're towards the bottom, of course. Um, every um, starting 11 combination that they have started this year has not been great because they have not been able to call upon any of their bench players to be any better than their initial starting players. Phoenix here are bringing in a proven goal scorer from his time across the league. And are slotting him in as of now as a bench player. Um, they and before that, you know, they lose to Sacramento. That is a hard loss to take. You do not want to be losing like that to any team, no matter where they are on the table, especially due to Phoenix's status <laughs> as a at least former powerhouse. But then to go um play Monterey Bay and win, um that's big. That again is also how you separate yourself is to pick up points against the teams below you. So right now, um, while New Mexico do have a game in hand on them, things are looking very nice for Phoenix. I have to say after that win. Yeah, definitely. Definitely was a much needed win for Phoenix because coming to the night 10th and us being ninth, I, I've always said it before. If you can get points against your opponents, that are right there with you, that are also fighting for the same thing, you're putting yourself in a really, really good position in the end to make the playoffs and, you know, have have that success that you want to have as a, as a franchise. Um, and Darius Romello is going to definitely help that, and the bench absolutely helps with that. Um, I'm going to equate something here. It may not be super equal, but currently with what my Premier League team is doing, Wolves, we have no bench. So we have no depth. We're not going to be able to compete that well this season. And it's the same thing across any other league. If you don't have depth in the league that you're in, chances are, or good depth at that. I mean, you can have depth, right? But those players may not be the best players that you can go out and get. So then when they come on, they don't have the impact they want you want them to have, and they have a negative impact. So even if you have depth, that doesn't mean much. But regardless, whatever league you're in, if you don't have good depth or if you have no depth, it's going to be hard for you to compete. And I think that's also kind of what we're seeing with us too, where we have depth, but they may not be the players we expected. <clears throat> yeah. Um. We'll move. We've talked about Formella and his part of the trade. Let's go to Njai and Oakland for this side. <laughs> Oakland, this, and we'll talk about Oakland, Detroit as well. Uh, this felt like a game that at the beginning of the season, I would have naively fallen into the trap of, oh, this game's going to end nil-nil. Oakland and Detroit can't score goals, you know? Um, oh boy, how I've been proven wrong. Oakland are apparently the second coming of, I don't know, just a good team. Just pick any standard good team and Oakland are them. The... I don't even, like, Oakland have just shown a new dimension in how they play this year. It has been incredible to watch. Um, They get caught out at points like this Detroit game where they face a defense that is 
about as stern as they used to be and still are. And they can't necessarily break that down. And there were a lot of points last year where they just couldn't break down any defenses because they played very negative. Um, But now they have those connections. (laughs) They find those passes. They're able to break through. And it's good enough for third in the West right now. And Babakar and Jai, who can come in and press forward as a more uh, attacking-minded central midfielder, is... It, it's going to... It could... I don't... Mm, I'll catch my tongue before I say that it could push them farther. <laughs> I don't think they are necessarily there quite yet to push past San Antonio or Sacramento. I would love to be proven wrong. I think it'd be very fun, at least from my perspective, to see Oakland pushing for top two. But right now, um, I think the third is a good spot, and I think Njai is a good pickup. Yeah, Njai is a good pickup uh, because he he does he does control the midfield very well, I think, and he's very calm on the ball. Um, and going forward, he is going to be very good as well, pressing up uh, onto that ball. Um, but o- overall, also what Phoenix works not what Phoenix what Oakland has done business wise with him and also Jaseel Sedano, and despite the fact that they lose Rito, they have done a great job of scouting players and finding players that maybe flew a bit under the radar. Jaseel Sedano is a great player, but he's with Hartford. And he's not, you know, the best. Bobby Carr and Jai, good player, but kind of didn't have the best of seasons last year after, I believe, he played for RGV, where he was very, very good. Um, so, yeah, they just they just find these players, it seems, and they're doing a great job of that. And so, and Jai is going to be a great pickup. Yeah. <clears throat> Oakland have uh, a lot of good, probably some of the best scouting in the league as of recently. Um, they found these moves that make sense for them. They make sense for the other teams, but Oakland um, clearly know what they want. And with Project uh, 510, they know what they want youth-wise as well. It's real. It's a really well-put-together club, one of the better put-together clubs as well in terms of just <clears throat> overall structure. I think Oakland have got <clears throat> it going on. Uh, so Njai to Oakland, Formella to Phoenix. We'll head to... The last big-ish piece of transfer news, um, and we'll link it to the game as well. We'll go to Orange County, New Mexico. Um, This game, in particular, highlights just how tight the Western Conference is. I mean, we'll we'll head to Oakland real quick, um, because I want to highlight that Oakland have two games in hand on New Mexico. And in their past five games, they picked up three wins and two draws. Uh, if New Mexico are to win their next two games, they would be level on points with third place Oakland, um, and they're currently ninth place in the West. That is, this is like parity that I think is unforeseen, and it's some of the best parity uh, in this league I think we've ever seen. What what do you think on terms of competitiveness right now? Yeah, I mean, look no further than us. <laughs> Third in the West. Oh, yeah. So, the West is just batshit crazy. I mean, you can't make some of this stuff up. Um, RGV all of a sudden have come out of nowhere, it seems, and kind of entered the chat. Um and yeah, I mean, nine points going into the last this this past Saturday, nine points separated third through eleventh. I mean, if that doesn't typify the competitiveness of the West, the the parity in the West, all of that, I don't know what does because uh just it's just amazing to see because you can't get that in any other league, it feels. Um you can't you can't get that in the Prem. There's a there's a top six and, and it feels like that's it. Those those teams are making the the Champions League and that's it. But you can get that in the USL, maybe sort of in the MLS too. I think um, around around the playoff line a bit. But there's definitely a quality gap where it separates, right? 
in the MLS, I think. Uh, the top team in the upper echelon LEFCs and in the St. Louis is um, in in the USL, 3 through 11, in, you know, 3 through 8, I guess, even in the, in the, in the Eastern Conference, too. Just straight up, every game matters. It's so important that you win, especially in the summer, as I said, too. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the parody doesn't necessarily go all the way. Las Vegas, we're coming back <laughs> to you. They would need, I always like to do this because it wasn't too long ago where I was like, oh, you know, Las Vegas, they only need to win like three games and then they're in the playoff race. They need to win like six now. <laughs> so it's kind of over for them in Hartford, unfortunately. But we'll jump back to Orange County, New Mexico. Um, this is a great win for Orange County. Uh, three wins in a row now. And New Mexico, it's it's a difficult loss to take. Again, you cannot be taking uh, losses like this when you are facing up, just on, like obviously facing opposition you're near with. But when you're in this position of teeter totter, yeah, teeter tottering on the edge of the playoffs, you cannot drop games like this. But they're still in the race; they have plenty of games left. Uh, but this is two teams in a position who at the beginning of the season, I don't necessarily think this is where we thought they'd be fighting. I <laughs> truly did think that at least Orange County's uh, season would continue to trend downwards after the opening uh, fireworks that we saw this year with just how seemingly 2022 crept into this year. I thought they'd be down there fighting for 11th over 12th with Las Vegas, but clearly not. Um, and the New Mexico under Quill doing a great job as well. They're in ninth. Uh, they had won three of their last four before this game. Uh, and they only fall to a single Milan Alaski goal. And it's Milan Alaski. He is fantastic. One of the better uh, finishers in this league. So Orange County up to six now. What do you see here in this game? Yeah, I, I just, I think I've seen Orange County team that, has uh, really put it together. And the credit absolutely 100% goes to Morton Carlson. The job he's done after Richard Chaplow got sacked has been phenomenal. I think um, we did kind of underestimate this team a bit in the sense that we thought they were going to be this team that is the one nil Orange County in the past that tries to sit back. And I think they've been far from that. Uh granted they win one nil against New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've had yeah, they've had they've had other wins that are more than one nil. So just um Morton Carlson deserves all the credit in the world. Because again, it's not like Orange County just brought in new players. They still right. have pretty much the same roster from when Richard Chaplow was around. So it is it it's 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 massive to see that, and it's also cool to see that because they are they did win the the cup in in twenty twenty one. So kind of seeing them have success once again is good for the league. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's good, like you said, like you just said, good to see teams be able to bounce back because when you see teams that struggle um, for years upon years, and I know this league has only been around for so long, but what like. When you see teams struggle with no intent to get better, no real spending, no um, continued support from the fans, that's how you get folded franchises. And there's no teams right now who are anywhere near that, which is fantastic for the league. And it's really good to see a team like Orange County, like mm -hmm. you said, who had a bad year last year, doing well this year. It shows that there is effort. Mm -hmm. There is care within the club. And especially after the antics that were pulled, um, I it was I can't remember. I believe it was last year when Orange County were at risk of losing uh championship soccer oh. team to LA Galaxy. Um mm -hmm. didn't let that happen. They still are playing there and they're prospering right now. So that is huge. Huge wins for the league all across the board in terms of just how everything seems to be trending upwards. And we'll talk about trending upwards as well for Orange County. They bring in Kevin Langford, a 24-year-old right mid from Victoria Cole. 
Not too sure how this is going to play for them. Um, <laughs> it's a good option out wide. They have a lot of good options in midfield, but you know, if you want some more service for your attackers, um, which I think McNulty and Oloski and the lot need, then this seems like a safe, high, uh, ceiling option to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, twenty of course twenty four years years old, uh, six foot one. Uh, he's he's definitely going to be a good option, and I don't know much about him because I haven't. To be fair, I didn't even actually see this transfer. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know he's he's a uh, again as you said just just another option for them. Yeah. Um, because attack wise, uh, Olaski's good. Both Olaskis had that. Yeah. Um, McNulty is good. Uh, but again, as we kind of said with Darius Romello, having that other option off the bench is important. So if he can kind of be that other option off the bench. Or maybe even start give give some someone a night off, then that's 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 good. That's very important. I I don't think you know this is a very interesting um, transfer. Now that we have seen uh, Jameson really come into his own against <clears throat> Memphis, and then uh, improvise. All right, had to take a quick second. Got a little coughing fit there. Um, but anyway, back to Jameson and Langford. I think Langford will have a little bit of competition now with the rise of Jameson that we saw, like I was saying, against Memphis and then against New Mexico to get the assist on that goal. Orange County have a lot going for them. Um, Kevin Langford, it seems like is only a, is going to be a good, uh, reinforcement for them. So good for Orange County. New Mexico will have to pick it up. We'll move to likely the last game that we talk about. It is the glaring um, omission from the what you'd expect the results to go this weekend. It is, of course, RGV El Paso, um, another Copa Tejas game. Uh, And right now, it's RGV who take down El Paso. 5-2. 5-2. Um, we talked, we've talked uh, a couple times this year of how we thought El Paso would fare, especially after how we saw their meltdown last year. I don't want to compare the two, but I'm gonna, because it seems very familiar. It's now their third loss in their last five games. They are fifth place. New Mexico United have a game in hand on them, and they will be right on their tail. They are only four points off of missing out on the playoffs. It is truly anyone's game. And now that El Paso are faltering, it opens just another door for other teams. And El Paso have a lot of work to get better. How Do you see a way for El Paso to really pick it up? Like, obviously, there's ways, but how do they do it? Well, I think it starts at the back again. Um, there were just too many mistakes. There were too many mistakes. There was too much miscommunication. Um, there was, of course, the one hospital pass that they had. I don't even want to call it a hospital pass. That was like a... I mean, it's about as bad as you could scuff a ball back to a back to a goalkeeper as you ever can. Um, but luckily, RGV doesn't score off of that. But it doesn't matter in the end. Um, but again, just miscommunication at the back between um between their between their defense, Mark Navarro, um, all all those all those guys at the back. So they they need to be better in that aspect. I think um, that's where it kind of starts. I don't think goal scoring is ever an issue with them. Never is an issue. Lucho is doing Lucho things, of course. Um, Eric Alvio even gets on the score sheet. So. You know, it that's never the problem. So it simply starts there. It's also a derby too, so anything can happen in a derby. Let's be fair in that aspect. Um, but nonetheless, uh, that is definitely where it starts for me at the back in their defense, because Benny Diaz is great, but any goalkeeper that's great needs to have 
a decent defense, and that's exactly what hasn't been happening for El Paso. Yeah, it always seems to go back to the defensive quality for these teams. And every team in this league is very much capable of scoring two, three goals on their night. But only a handful of teams, I would say, are capable of um, just putting on an absolute clinic at the back and keeping a shutout on a consistent basis. So... For a lot of these teams, it's always been just can they score more than the other? I know that's a very basic thing to say, but you know, it's talking about those three, two, four, three, four, two results. Right now, that's where RGV are seeing themselves in. Defensively, they're still not fantastic, but they are putting it together up top. And they put five past El Paso, who have not been able to have answers for anything recently. And they get the job done here. It's very impressive and it's feeding into two of our favorite narratives of El Paso will have their meltdown and they're teetering on it a little bit here and the inevitability that RGV are obviously going to make the playoffs and win it all. I mean, we just have to have our underdog story. You know, we can't, we're not getting it with Loudon. We're not getting it with Las Vegas. We have, it's somewhere and it's in RGV. They're gonna get they're gonna finish sixth. I'm telling you. They're gonna finish sixth and they're gonna get knocked out in the first round. Because that's where it always ends. Yep. <laughs> Currently level on points with us, which is just insane to say. Because again, we're in third place, right? Right. But it doesn't matter in the end. It doesn't matter in the end. Uh again, back to the parody. Um and yeah, just RGV every single year just knows how to fucking get it done. And just it it simply doesn't make sense. Yet it's just the best story of all time. I mean, if you're talking about if you if you if you're really being serious about it, this is kind of like the Leicester City of you know, the Western Conference of the USL every year because they just they find a way. They just simply find a way. And it's just it's insane. Because uh, Willem Cabrera is the best coach of all time, um, so he's the best there, coach there, of all there, time. <laughs> and it's because he followed there, me on Threads. That's why. Right, exactly. So he saw that, and he's like, "Oh well, I'm, I'm going, I'm going Gothic mode now. I'm, we're locking in here." You know, um, he listens to All Access USL, and he's like, "You know what? These are two guys that I can get behind." And he's like, "Yeah, I want to follow them on Threads." <laughs> there, there, there he goes. So. That that's your that's your weekly RGB, uh, you know, segment. Um, yes. Yeah, you're welcome, RGB, for all the free publicity. Publicity. Um, I can't wait to be an honorary season ticket holder. <laughs> um, yeah. so that's kind of all we got. We'll look forward to the Wednesday game this week before we finish off. Um, I think honestly, I'm leaning towards starting to make episodes for I have all these ideas of what I want to do to take the podcast forward so obviously I talked about taking or adding a league one episode which would likely be just me just because Noah doesn't necessarily dive into league one I could also get a co-host for that as well um but you know I also want to do I think a shorter form episode midweek where we just preview games so we might see that in the future we'll see but we're just going to talk about the wednesday game coming up right now because of when this episode will come out it's loud in memphis this feels straightforward but is anything ever straightforward in this league no because then it wouldn't be the usl championship uh loudon currently in 11th place, haven't won in four games. They've gotten three losses in those four as well. Memphis, two losses in a row, a uh, 4-3 home loss to Orange County, and then a 4-2 away loss to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Again, for Memphis, it's I feel like what we're talking about, it's like, again, they have the goal-scoring answer, but they just don't have the defensive answer. Um, and for Loudon, it's just that they don't have any answers. So this, 
feels like a game. And I'll, I want to know what you think as well. If you kind of are following with me here. It feels like a game that is almost suited for Loudon to win. Um, everyone would, I feel like, would say Memphis come in, steamroll them 5 0, something like that. Get their confidence back. Loudon's season is over, you know, with a loss here. I truly think Loudon still have a lot of fight left in them. They showed that um, at the beginning of the season. They've showed that through the, you know, they are the team with the most losses, but they have put results on the board when it's not always when it's necessarily needed, but when it's most important. And right now, if they want any semblance of a chance for the playoffs, they need to win this game. And I think they will. Yeah, I think they will too. Um, I think because Memphis is form, I think I think that's I think that's going to be the biggest reason why they win. I think because of Memphis's form, um, I don't think it's going to be anything really that loud and do necessarily. I think they'll get that one goal, right, and then they'll kind of just you know try and try and push for the second potentially, but they'll kind of um, wear Memphis down and kind of grind the game out. And I think they'll probably win one nil in the end. Um, cause Memphis right now, um, they just haven't had it, unfortunately. And although they've been attacking decently well, um, it's just, it hasn't, it hasn't changed anything, unfortunately. No, it really hasn't. Um, so for Loudon, uh, I think this will be their game. I think they have this bag and i think this sends memphis back to the drawing board of they had this hot start they had this hot unbeaten run and now here we are and we need something new so i think loud take it it puts them within two points of the playoffs once again and they're looking not looking too bad then so we'll see where it goes we'll see where this takes memphis and loudon that is going to be it for today's episode uh We'll possibly see you for a uh, game preview episode during the week. It would likely probably come out on Thursday just to give you some time to listen to it. Um, Don't expect a first League One episode out this week. It'll probably still take another week or two to get sorted. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Noah, for being back. Really glad to see you back here. Yeah, as always, uh, good to see you too. Um, and yeah, it's a good episode. Very good episode. We will see you guys maybe Thursday, but definitely next weekend.